Excuse my friend. Welcome, welcome to the show. We're so excited for today's episode. We are pumped. I cannot believe we have some shrinks, therapists. We are going to pick their brains. Yes. Because we're a mess. We are all a mess. We are a mess. Everyone's a mess. And I think everyone needs a therapist in their life. Yes. At we one all time or another. Could use someone to talk to. Yes. No matter how great your life is, I think there's always something there that you can improve on and get advice on and yes. just learn more about yourself. We asked so many questions. It took an hour. So hopefully we asked your questions that you'd want to ask a therapist. Um, and then they also gave us some tips and tricks that I'm definitely going to try because I haven't heard those yet. Yeah, definitely. So we hope you enjoy this interview. Without further ado, here's our interview with the hosts of Shrink Chicks and the founders of the therapy group, Emily Beerly and Jennifer Chaikin. Welcome back to Excuse My Friend. We are so excited. We have a special treat for you because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And what better way to celebrate than to have our two favorite licensed marriage and family therapists they are the hosts of shrink chicks which we love, love. It. totally fangirling and they founded the therapy group they are emily chaikin and jennifer Beerly. we were no, trying oh to get my the last God. names no, no, that's okay. so- <laughs> it was like we were married and we switched last name that's our dream right. emily Beerly and jennifer chaikin <laughs> there it is that is perfect <laughs> i am emily chaikin um, it's great to meet you. <laughs> and I am Jennifer Beerly. It's early. I am still trying to wake up. But you guys are oh basically God. married. You're like us. We That's are. Awful. We are That's basically awful. married. We I have think it's such the first a time I butchered names, but honestly, therapists kind of scare me. No, you so, are frightening. I think that's why I butchered your names. <laughs> no, it's why no do we problem. Yeah, tell us. No, tell us the end. It, guys it, are frightening. Like I I literally told her last time, like, I don't know if I could do it. Like, I'm like sweating because I feel like therapists look into everything i could like be looking right and you're like trauma that's trauma you're like you're trauma. analyzing everything like i see what's on her mind yeah, or she's thinking she's nervous it's... right now i'm like oh my gosh i'm sweating <laughs> okay so i so, apologize for butchering you know, your name i thought it was no amazing. don't I want apologize. everyone to do that Okay, here's what I think, right? I think you're totally right. And just so you know, there are certain therapists that were around that I'm like, I don't want to talk to this person. I feel freaked out by them. They have this clinical guard. It's the most uncomfortable thing in the world. So I think what you're feeling is completely reasonable due to like the history of this field. And today we're just going to be very normal people as we usually are. But I will say this, unless I'm on the clock, I'm too expensive to be um, analyzing you when I'm not being paid for. <laughs> I love that. So everyone listening, they don't always analyze you if you're no. just hanging out. Well, also, I think there's, I think it gets coupled in some ways with like, if I'm analyzing you, it means I'm like judging you in some way mm-hmm. when really it's just, you know, like it's just a part of, of learning someone, getting to know someone. I like to get to know people on like a deep level but I think it's a common misconception I think that's sometimes why people stay away from therapy is they assume like okay if I pour my heart out to this therapist or I talk to them about all this stuff that I went through um, are they going to judge me are they going to accept me analyzing doesn't always uh, come with judgment and shouldn't come with judgment, I would well, say. Well, please, say. Well, and, judging. Oh, no. Well, free zone here. Okay, here's what I think also, right? I think that a lot of people have had a history where they went to a therapist and they were felt judged and maybe were judged. 100%. So I think the reality is that, that with any profession – 
they're shitty therapists, the way that there are some bad teachers, bad doctors, any of those That's things. True. Same thing for this field. And so I can't apologize on behalf of all therapists, although I wish that I could do that. If you have had a negative experience with a therapist before, I want to say I'm so sorry for that. And there's also really fucking cool therapists that Clearly. can meet you where you're at. Um, yes. And it's not all of them. The same where I've gone and seen doctors and I'm like, I will never go back there again. That was a horrific experience. Horrible, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've but what happens, it. the difference with therapy is that, you know, with a doctor, you might go to a doctor and say, oh, you know, that wasn't the right doctor for me. I'm going to find a new doctor. When people see a therapist that they don't connect with, they're like, therapy's not for Fuck me. Fuck therapy. Yeah. We're all yeah. over it. <laughs> yeah. Hundred percent. I've heard this so much. What are some ways that like you can find the right therapist for you? What's some advice? Okay. Yeah. We talk about finding therapists almost like dating that it's okay to shop around. It's important to shop around. Um, We recommend asking for a free 15 minute phone consultation. If you like find someone online that you think you might connect with, Um, And when you have that consultation, ask them questions to figure out if they might be the right fit before you see them in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And we always say try a few sessions and see how it goes. Um, The reason why we built our practice, the therapy group, is to create an environment of therapists that are really down to earth um, and you can connect with and that and that approach therapy from a very humanistic level. Because we know that the greatest predictor for therapeutic success is the relationship that you build with your therapist. Mm. And so, so that's why we talk about finding a therapist like dating is that like finding someone who you connect with and click with and someone who you might connect with might be different than who your friend connects with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so give yourself the time to shop around. I know that can be exhausting, mm-hmm. but when you find the right fit, it is transformative. It's yeah. just magical. I kind of want to go back, <laughs> honestly, like why you guys met in grad school. So mm-hmm. cool. How and why did you become a therapist? <laughs> kind of take us through that journey. We want to yes. kind of know the deets and why the hell you want to sit and listen to people. 24 seven. <laughs> so we had a little bit of a different journey. Jen was in marketing. I went to school to be a teacher, but the thing oh, that wow. was very similar for both of us is that we both had really bad experiences in therapy. We both went to therapists. I had this therapist my freshman year of college, this fucking guy, fuck this guy. And <laughs> him. like, and I'm like talking about how I'm like struggling. I was like in a sorority. I went to like a huge school. I was like struggling to make friends. And he was like, well, I think the issue is with your drinking. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm like 18. I'm a college. I am not doing anything not normal in this situation. And it also wasn't what I was looking for in that moment. I was looking for someone to say like, you're right. It's really hard to transition to college. It makes a lot of sense. You're struggling. This is a huge school. Right. And because he went straight to something else, I was like, I'm never doing this again. And I didn't go back to therapy for the rest of college while I was there. Wow. I was like, I can't do this. And I had great therapists before when I was a teenager, but I had such a negative experience and I was going to school to be um, a teacher. And I did the first half of my student teaching and I was like, I'm going to die. I can't do this ever again. God bless teachers. They should be paid $10 million a year. Yes. I did one semester of it. And I literally went to my um, advisor college. I was like, what can I get into? I can't do this. Um, Takes a certain kind of human. <laughs> yes, it takes a they, ten million dollars a year should be the annual salary for a teacher. Yes, one thousand percent. And uh, 
Jen and I ended up at the same uh, graduate school and I walked up to Jen the first day and I said, you're going to be my best friend um, <laughs> because I need someone to cling on to. And she looked introverted enough that she would take me. Yes. I, I adopted her. I adopted her. Um, That's one way to make a friend. Exactly. And I, you know, I went into, yeah, I, I, you know, was always interested in psychology and then, you know, was told you're not going to make any money in that. Uh, that's not, you know, that's not the move. And so I listened to everyone else and went into marketing and moved to New York. And it was the worst year of my entire life. <laughs> and I decided like cool marketing, I mean, luxury. It was marketing. cool. You it, yeah, it just like was not fulfilling me. And so I yeah. decided I would rather be doing something that like fulfills me and I feel good in. And if I don't make as much money, whatever. Um, and so I went back to school and once again, that is where I met M. And um, I was going through school feeling like, okay, I'm going to get through this. I'll become a therapist. I don't care if I make any friends. And then Emily, once again, she's a barnacle. I feel like Alexis is like Emily. I'm Jen. You guys are kind of the opposite. We are here. You're good friends. You work together. How does that yes. work? You guys are so different. Do you think opposites mm -hmm. attract? Is that real? Does it work? Yeah. It works for us. It works so well. Mm. Um, part, you know, when we first met, we, we started our business right out of grad school. We were very, very young and, you know, we had to figure things out together, make mistakes together, learn from our mistakes together. Part of the thing that I think works really well with the both of us is that we both have the same goal in mind mm. and we both work really hard and the things that we gravitate towards in the business and things that we do are different. And so um, my weaknesses are Emily's strengths and her weaknesses are my strengths. And so the balance is so helpful in our relationship. And our ability and understanding around relationships and communication also helps us tremendously. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As um, you know, we've been building our business. So yeah, for us, it works really well. But you talked yeah. about something interesting is, is, is there truth to opposites attract? So what yeah. opposites definitely attract. The question is then do they maintain a positive relationship together, right? Are they successful in that? So one of the things to always keep in mind is yes, we might have two opposite things. And then there's points of conflict. That's every single relationship the question is can you move past the point of conflict mm. can you talk it out can you be on the same value base the thing that works for Jenna is that we have very very similar values we have the same goals so even if there's a rift of what's going on and Jenna does we see things differently all the time I mean we are 
very, very different people. <laughs> and so like half the week, I'm like, I don't think we should do this. And she's like, we should. And then we like flip flop yeah. two days later. And, <laughs> but the question is, can you hold on to yourself while creating space for someone else to hear their real truth of what they're talking about? And then can you let go of your ego a little bit to let someone else in? Ooh, ego. That ego. Sometimes it's kind of hard to let go of that. <laughs> a lot of people love hearing about attachment styles. Mm-hmm. Um, when does that like start? Like, how does that happen? How like, does it develop? Everyone when is it becomes like a category all the time. Like our, yes. us and our friends are always sending each other like quizzes. Like, what <laughs> attachment style are you? Right. And it's like we always get put in different categories. Like when does yeah. that start? Why? So we, and we look at attachment style as a lens, right? That it's just one lens to look at things. Um, and we, you know, we tread lightly around it because sometimes when we cling on to something, we think, oh, you know, this is what I am and I can never escape this. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about attachment style, it starts in early childhood. Mm-hmm. Um If you have a secure attachment, the idea is that your caregivers respond to you when you needed them and it was consistent um, responsiveness. So anytime that you needed something, you knew that your caregiver was going to be there for you. Um, In anxious attachment, um, you know, your caregiver was maybe inconsistent in how much they responded to you. And so you learned that when your caregiver isn't there, that your anxiety is going to come up and that it was how you're going to get your needs met is that your anxiety is going to come up and you're going to look for your caregiver, but you're not sure that they're going to be there for you. Um, And then you can develop like an avoidant attachment style that if your caregiver was also inconsistent in this insecure attachment, um, you develop this idea that you don't actually need those needs to be met. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talk about this as it develops in early childhood and we take it into our relationships in adulthood. And it's funny because in adulthood, we're all taking online quizzes, but the way that they actually look for this um, in children is they can start looking at this at six months old. And so they do this thing called the Mary Ainsworth strange situation. And if you haven't seen it before, go on YouTube. I'm sure you can watch a million of them. And so they do this thing called the Mary Ainsworth strange situation. And what they do is they put a child and their caregiver and then a stranger who's usually somebody from the research team um, in this room and they watch and the mom and uh, the other stranger in the room only look at once like she has like one little thing where she says like oh i like your blouse or something right and so the baby only watches contact between caregiver and other adult one time and the mom leaves the room then and leaves stranger in the room with the child and they're actually not looking at how baby responds after mom leaves what they're looking for is how does baby react when mom comes back in the room so if mom comes back in the room and baby's excited to see mom and calms down again secure attachment If baby comes in the room and cannot be calmed by mother, anxious. If baby comes in the room and ignores mom and is mad at her for leaving, avoidant. And so they start this, they start researching this at like six months old, they start talking about it. I mean, there's been tons of research. I know there's been tons of research. I mean, they look at um, like they can, they even like will research sleep patterns with how like these children are sleeping versus their attachment styles. So they do this really, really early. And it's so funny now because now we have like every adult in America taking an online quiz. Um, She loves those quizzes. She's always (laughs) sending them to me. I'm like, come on, I'm not going to base my personality off a quiz. Well, we need to know. (laughs) know? We We want information. 
situation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I understand you, Alexis. Thank um, you. And, and it makes a lot of sense, right? We want to understand why we do the things that we do. Totally. It makes us have a false sense of control. And I love control. Same. As somebody who, who loves doesn't? control. Exactly, right? I want to know, is are you going to diagnose me properly? Is there some attachment oh. style? Can I read the right book? Oh, somebody <laughs> tell me what to do. Because it's actually unbelievably scary to float in this world and not know what we're doing. And none yeah. of us like to actually look at that, especially when it comes to relationships, because relationships matter in this life. People that report that they have satisfying relationships end up reporting a higher quality of life. Interesting. Mm. So there's, are there three attachment styles, anxious, secure, and avoidant? Is it three main ones basically? Well, so those are the main popularized ones. If you look into the research of it, they look at something called disorganized. Sometimes they put avoidant and um, anxious together. Okay. But when you look at the mainstream, how this has been popularized, they talk about mm. secure, insecure, anxious, avoidant. So I want to know, are attachment styles kind of like zodiac signs? Does one <laughs> attachment style go well with another, like anxious with secure? I like, not to ask that. that. So, I'm so curious. So, so yeah, so it, it tends to be that someone with an anxious anxious attachment style ends up with someone with an avoidant attachment style because it's magnetic. And this isn't always the case, right? Mm -hmm. So if, yeah. if someone's pulling away the person and has an avoidant attachment style, right? Like, oh, I don't need this. I can take care of myself. I don't need relationships anyway. The person with the anxious attachment style is going to pull closer, right? I am anxious. And so I need to come closer to you. I feel you pulling away. So I and walked so up to Jen the first day of grad school anxiously. <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to go to grad school and not talk to anyone. That would be me. I'm saying I'm Jen. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so, but the thing, the, the thing that we want to talk about too, is that like the, your, your attachment styles can change and they can fluctuate oh, and they can, they can, you know, if you're in a secure relationship, um, they, they can, they can change, right? If you think about Anytime you were in a relationship with someone who was completely unemotionally available, right, that your your anxious attachment is going to get activated because you feel them pulling away. Um, and so, so I just want to put that out there is that our relationships and what kind of relationship you are in really matters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it hard to like change your like attachment style? Or does it take a lot of work? Or can someone just like wake up and be like, I'm secure today? <laughs> like, okay, well, like so it's funny. This other thing that we do in therapy is this thing called the miracle question, right? Where we say to a client, um, if you were to wake up tomorrow feeling and being exactly who you wanted to be, what does your day look like? Do I wake up? Do I go on a walk? Do I read a book? Do I stay off my phone? And so you're not going to wake up being that other person, but you can wake up and decide who do I want to be today? And do my values, my actions match that? Mm -hmm. um, uh, attachment style is going to take time to change and it's going to come a lot from secure relationship. Jen and I talk a lot on Shrink Chicks about how we, in a lot of ways, were incredibly healing to one another. There mm -hmm. became enough emotional safety in our relationship for me to fall apart, for her to fall apart, and for us to just do this. Whenever you enter a business, um, a lawyer is going to tell you, well, do you have like a dissolve plan? Like what happens at the end of this? And um, Jen's dad's a lawyer and, you know, we ignored all advice as we typically do. And we didn't come <laughs> up with any type of exit plan. We said, we're going to make this work no matter what. Yeah. And there's something beautiful to that to say that like, I'm here to do this at your very, very worst. It's and amazing. can be there for me too. 
it's cool to have two committed people because it's hard. It's hard to find committed people in et, like relationship, mm, friendship, yes. family ship. I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just hard. It's um, it it's also hard. I feel like nowadays to find a healthy relationship. Like I, mm. I feel like I'm on the fence. Like, do do I believe in marriage? I'm not sure because I feel like nowadays you don't really hear many like successful. Mm relationships do you guys find that like it's real and emily you mentioned in one of the episodes you're like i could wake up one day my partner could look at me and say see ya you know it's a contract or paper it is exactly so so the question is well how would you define successful relationships and healthy relationships Hmm. successful relationships are not always relationships that are together for 50 years sometimes a successful relationship is two people that look at each other and say we tried really hard and i'm going to end this with a conscious uncoupling with respect for anyone involved that's success to me I don't think success is staying together forever. Things change all the time. Mm -hmm. Listen, let's be honest. Marriage came to control women. We know this information, right? So do I believe like marriage is for absolutely everyone? Absolutely not. There's lots of people marriage doesn't make sense for. But when I talk about successful and healthy relationships, we have to understand and define what we're really talking about here. Because I don't think a relationship being committed forever is necessarily equal success. I know a lot of people that stayed married for a long time that should have gotten divorced. 100%. Right, right. Lots of people, when they come yeah. in my office, the main I, thing I hear more than, oh, I wish my parents could get divorced is I wish my parents did get divorced. That their conflict in our household was actually worse than if they had just broken up. Wow. That makes is, there, is there like a secret sauce to like, having a marriage last like is there something where it's like a couple's like i wish i would have done x y and z earlier getting therapy (laughs) yeah and that and that and 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 on top of that right like that i think i think a big thing that we see as couples therapists a big shift that happens when you enter into couples therapy Mm -hmm. is that you go from blaming each other to taking accountability for your role in the dynamic And so the more that you can understand yourself and what you're bringing into the relationship and the things that trigger you the most and how you react to those triggers, the more you can communicate them, the more you can change those patterns within your relationship. So I think so often there's a focus on like what my partner is doing wrong or what I can change about my partner. But the thing that we know is that the only person that you can change or do work on is yourself. And when you get stuck in this pattern of I'm so focused on what my partner is doing, then you always feel out of control and it, it's it's cyclical. And so the other thing I was going to say about being in a healthy relationship, I think it's a common misconception that if you're in a healthy relationship, things are good all of the time. You're happy all of the time. You feel connected all of the time. And in any relationship, any long-term relationship, there are going to be times where you feel connected. And then there's going to be times where you feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. So it's not about being disconnected. It's how you go from being disconnected to bring yourselves back to the point of being connected again. And those things are going to be really, really important. And they're things that you can learn and work on within your relationship over time. And so I think there's this idea that a healthy relationship means that you're always going to be happy. You're always going to feel good and secure. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is that's not true. There's a lot of stress that we deal with in life. There's a lot of transitions that go on. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to grow together. And if you grow 
apart to either bring yourselves back together or talk through it and decide, is this something that's still working for us? That's interesting. So I want to know, so fighting, is there a healthy way to fight? Like you said, when you go through the ups and downs, because some people, they fight, there's a a little bit toxic. Sometimes we like (laughs) a drama, but that's a whole other thing. But is there a healthy way to fight with your partner? Yes, we have lots of rules about fair fighting, we call it. Tell us all. We don't name call not going to be helpful we don't bring up shit from the past if i'm fighting with you about um the socks not being folded that was such a bad example but i roll them in a ball i let's say i'm very particular and it matters to me that my socks are folded for some particular clearly fucking... <laughs> um but let's say right i'm having a fight about the dishwasher if mm-hmm. i bring up even if it's not really about the dishwasher because it never is if i'm bringing up well your mom at christmas last year that's not fair fighting. So we're going to keep it on the topic of what we're talking about in this moment. We're going to give space. When things get elevated, we take a break. Learning to take time out for containment is very important in relationships. I have to go walk away. Because guess what? Even if something feels like it's a crisis, it's usually not an emergency. A crisis is something as big and scary and overwhelming. We have to deal with it. An emergency is I have to do it right now. Mm -hmm. Usually in a fight, we actually don't have to figure it out right now. Mm -hmm. So do I give space for things to come back down? Because when you're elevated like this, it's typically going to go like that. Totally. And so that's what Jen talks about when she's making this comment about like radical accountability on self. If I know in my marriage, I am the one that's like, and so I know that I have to put myself in timeout way more than my partner does. It doesn't mean that he is right and I'm wrong. It means I have to have radical responsibility towards my own shit that I have to take care of. In understanding what your specific style is of reactivity, um, you know, we typically think about reactivity as like someone who's yelling and it's this like outward reaction where when you are shutting down, that is also a reaction. And so- you can understand your the specific way that you react, that is the time in which you can say, hey, I just need, I need a break. I need to self-regulate because what happens is that when we're in that space where we're activated, we're looking for our partner to regulate those emotions for us. They need to say something to me so that I feel better. And then it just cycles as opposed to I feel myself getting reactive. For me, it's shutting down. I feel the fact that I'm shutting down. When I start shutting down, I need to say, hey, listen, I recognize we need to keep talking about this, but I need a little bit of space so that I can regulate my own emotions and then we can come back to this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm only able to say that because I know that about myself. So in understanding the ways in which you might be reactive in an argument is going to be really helpful for your ability to communicate through it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I say the the responsibility, the awareness of like what's coming up for you. And those triggers that happen are sometimes things that come from early childhood, right? So if um, you know, I always felt, uh, like no one listened to me, right? Like I was speaking up or people invalidated me in some way. If I'm in an argument with my partner and I feel invalidated, that is going to be way more triggering for me than anything else. Mm-hmm. So understanding what your specific trigger is, where that might be coming from for you, because it's mm-hmm. hitting some wound from your childhood mm-hmm. and being able to say, okay, how am I going to take care of myself, regulate my emotions? and come back 
back to this conversation so that this can be more productive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Can the fighting be a make or break? Like if you fight differently? I don't think it's that, that it can make or break it. But I think if people are not properly communicating or taking accountability or they're okay with you suffering is the other thing, right? So if, if my partner knows that I am more anxious and need a little bit more attachment and they choose to walk out and leave for hours and hours and hours and hours without caring what that is for me, that's what I think of as lack of consideration, right? Because when we say like when we talk about in our show, know yourself, grow yourself, we're also talking about knowing your partner. And so I also need to understand my partner's triggers and I'm going to try to not trigger them and to help them because that's respect and communication in a relationship. It's almost like a punishment or a passive aggressive thing. Like they're trying to punish you. I've done it, you know, but it's not not me. (laughs) Right. And and that's, and that's where we get into like, you know, almost like a power dynamic um, and where we're kind of back and forth Uh, punishing each other. And then Mm -hmm. that is where we end up against each other in a relationship instead Mm -hmm. of on the same team. And so something we like to talk about with couples is meta communication, talking about the ways in which you communicate. So in this example, if, you know, your partner is saying, Hey, I need a time. I need a break. I need to take some time. And they're taking a week where the two of you are sitting down and say, Hey, I recognize that when we fight or when you're upset about something, you're saying you need a break and you're taking a week-long break. That is really hard for me. It's important that we talk about this. This is really important to me. Um, So can we talk about different ways that maybe you can self-regulate or, and then I can self, and we can come back together and have this conversation. Um, But the important thing is talking about that communication at a time in which you're both not activated Mm -hmm. and the couples have a really hard time bringing that back to the conversation because they're worried, okay, if I start talking about this again, then we're going to start fighting again. Mm -hmm. But I think a really big key to working on your relationship is talking about the ways in which you communicate, the meta-communication. Meta-communication. What are some ways to maybe self-soothe? Because I think I'm the type, if I'm fighting, I am the type to be like, we need to hash this out now. I want to fight about this now. And like, when that person takes that break, it like makes me even more anxious. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to figure this out. So what are some ways to maybe self-soothe and self-regulate in that situation? So my my first question, not to turn this into therapy, but maybe. Um... <laughs> Remember when you were scared to have therapists on? Yeah, this is here why. we are. Exactly <laughs> why, exactly. So, so my question would be, and this I'm saying this in a sense of like, if you're in that place, you get to ask yourself this question. What's the fear? If I don't solve this right now, what's my fear of what's going to happen? Take yourself into the fear because your brain is sending your body signals of like, if you don't figure this out, you're going to die. Something horrible is going to happen. And that is where to start to take yourself into that fear where you can say, okay, if we don't figure this out right now, I'm not going to die. You know, we're going to come back to the conversation. We're going to work through it. But the energy, like I hear you, the energy in your body when you're amped up and you need to self-soothe is really intense. Mm -hmm. I think that's the part though. It's like, you don't know, will you come back to the conversation? Everything will be fine. Or is it like, I'm breaking up with you. And that's the thing about, right? So like when we have people that aren't fully committed into a relationship, you can feel that Mm -hmm. and it does. And so essentially what happens is um, this is when you have your amygdala in your brain 
Okay, so basically we have oxytocin that goes through our body. Oxytocin hits your amygdala, and the oxytocin says, okay, cool, everything's great. When you're not getting that, when you aren't feeling that attachment, um, that piece, that like connection together, what your amygdala is going to do is it turns into a lighthouse. And that lighthouse's job is to look for any potential signs of danger. Mm. So it does its little light, and it's like, ah, there's a boat. And it's like, ah, well, he liked that girl's Instagram three weeks ago, and so now I really know that he's not committed. <laughs> That's your amygdala being like, I'm going to find some fucking reason of why this isn't going to work out. Because if I can, in the distance, look for some reason of why this is going to come out, then it's not going to hurt so bad when it does. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's going to hurt no matter what. Because relationships hurt. And it's really hard to do what all of us are doing on this floating rock out here. Hard. And what our job is, is to self-soothe. So when we talk about this, I might have to go away and go do 15 jumping jacks and smoke a J. I don't care what it is. But that's my <laughs> personal responsibility to find yeah. out what works for me. It might be taking a really cold shower. It might be listening to music. I typically don't recommend calling somebody because that can rev you up more. This really should be an individual process. So it might be that I listen to music. It might be that I... I Once again, I don't recommend a ton of social media. I don't think that's the best thing for us. So what really soothes me down, that's our responsibility to find for ourselves. Typically, things that people say are self-care is actually self-soothing. Like taking a bath is actually self-soothing. It's not Um, self-care. Self-care is like paying your taxes on time. It's like the shit that makes it better for the next day. Um, it's and it's not hot or sexy in any way. And so for you to take the responsibility, for you to sit here and say, okay, Julia. What truly works for me to bring me down? I have to learn this about myself. And then when I start going to that space and we can feel it, right? So I wonder if you feel it in your hands, in your stomach, in your chest of like, talk, 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 talk. And that's when you have to say, okay, I feel it in my body. I have to now go away to my place to go take care of myself in this other way. Mm-hmm. Wow. And whatever happens, I don't get to actually control next. Yeah. Damn, you guys are just full of knowledge. <laughs> I'm going to do that next time. I'm jealous. I'm over here like taking quizzes. (laughs) Ice cream, have some coffee, watch my show. A lot of us go back to people who like aren't good for us. And why the hell do we do that? Like like, we know they're not good for us. No, but sometimes we don't. We think like, oh, I met this guy. He's a little bit different. And then we get into it and it's like, oh my God, I'm going for the same person. Like, what is that? Like, and how do we fix that? Like, what do we do? What do we got to do? So the thing that no one wants to hear is that our brains, our psyche loves to be in a place where it's comfortable. And so we love to repeat patterns in relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if we had, I don't know, a father figure who was completely unavailable, our psyche gets pulled into similar relationships where you might be pulled attracted to someone who is also similarly emotionally unavailable because we feel like okay if i can change this in this relationship then maybe i can fix the deeper wound that's coming from my childhood um but what happens is we end up just recreating those patterns in our relationship and so My question would be, what is this doing for you to be in the same types of relationships over and over and over again? Is it serving you in some way? Just because you're being pulled towards something, does it mean that it's healthy for you? I also think there's side note, you know, we've been fed of a fed of a lot of messages around what it means to be like in love and passionate about something and someone 
And a lot of that is just anxiety in a relationship. And so that's another thing I would question is like your internalized ideas about what it means to be um, in love with someone or passionate about a relationship. Because in the end, when you're in a secure, healthy relationship, things are pretty stable and they can feel boring. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I, so I have two good book recs here. Okay. I had to look Ooh. up the one because I couldn't remember what Arthur's name. So one's the human magnet syndrome and that's Ross mm-hmm. Rosenberg. And it's all about why we love people who hurt us. And it goes like deeper into this. If this is like something a listener has. And the other book I always recommend is passionate marriage by David Schnarch. And he talks about this really great part of like, he's like, you know, when you're out at a restaurant and you see this couple who's just sitting there not talking and you're like, oh my God, we're never going to turn into that. Yeah. Those are the happiest people in the restaurant. They don't That's need so to talk. Cool. They don't want to eat their food. They've been together for 50 fucking years. They're doing great, right? <laughs> and so and so this thing about what goes, what Jen is talking about, which is totally correct, which is that like, what is our idea? And so we talked about this before is like, what do we actually define as successful marriage or relationships? What do we actually define as healthy? And what do we actually define as like fair fighting? Like, what do we think this should look like? Because if I think it should look like we're fighting on the street because we're so in love, we're so passionate, we're so jealous. So that's why I won't let him even look at another girl's Instagram. Like that isn't sexy. It's actually unhealthy. It's dysfunction. But if I grew up in a household that had a significant amount of dysfunction, then it feels like home. Mm. And when something feels like home, I want to go towards it. So do you think we model what we are the relationships we grew up seeing like our parents do you think we kind of model mirror that as we get older I do (laughs) and I think it I think it feels comfortable for us right and so that is why doing the deeper work to understand what are the things that feel comfortable for me because the more I can understand that the more I can make a decision about it Mm -hmm. is this something I want to repeat Or is this something I want to change? When we don't understand that, we more so react to it, right? Like this feels like home, so I'm gravitating towards it as as opposed to making a choice about it. And the other thing that can happen, which is also not choice, is that sometimes the pendulum goes the other way. So it's like, my parents had such a bad marriage, so I will never get married and I will never be anything like them. And that's actually also that you're just letting shit still control you. You're actually not making a decision about what really works for you. It's just letting that pendulum go totally on the other side. So what would it be like to rebalance that out in the middle and like actually decide for yourself what you want your life to look like? Oh, wow. That is, that's so interesting. And it's interesting that you say healthy is boring and the dysfunction. (laughs) It's just, it's crazy. Cause I would think like healthy would be the fun, which you do have fun. But when you say that the couple of the restaurant, they aren't talking, I have seen that. I'm like, Oh, they seem like they're unhappy, but like you said, they're the happiest. What about like, what about like sex? Does that get boring though? Cause like that like sucks. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the thing. All the shit's going to get boring if you don't make it not boring. Right. So yes, if you do nothing and you don't move or grow or change your relationship in any way, it's sure shit going to be boring in 10, 15, 20 fucking years. Okay. And if you say you want to know what I, um, uh, do you, do you guys know what a yes, no, maybe list is? The no, sex no. List? So yes, no, maybe list is like a list of like lots of sexual activities and you and your partner do one together. And you say like, here's our list. 
like yes list here's our no list like here's our maybe list right so like maybe that's like more fun kinky fetish stuff and so what you might do in your relationship is say we're going to make a yes no maybe list and we're going to try lots of different things together and we're going to find out what's work and once a night uh, once a month on day night we try this new special thing where we try a new toy um any different things that we have going on so if you don't put effort into anything it's going to go boring and honestly it's the same thing with a career right? If I don't try so to move and grow in my career and I'm sitting at the same thing, I'm going to get bored of it. That's just human nature. So we act like it is like totally a death sentence in relationships, but it's because we think that like, oh, well, I pick someone and it should just work out. That's mm-hmm. not how any of this works. <laughs> What's that commercial where it's like, uh-huh. that's not how this works. And she's yeah, like, yeah. Who's on the yeah, wall, yeah. the old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's me. And that's, yeah. and that's why we talk about this, like this idea um, if it if it's right, then it should be easy. That is not true. <laughs> when you're in a long-term relationship and you're growing together, you're experiencing a lot together, it is work. And and if you're on the same page and it's important to you, then it's work you'll want to put in. Mm-hmm. And so that's and so so we we say all these things not to like shit on everyone's idea of like what <laughs> marriage looks like, but more to create a more realistic view of what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not like the movies or I mean, on social media because it's easy to get caught in the comparison trap. You see like these cute couples, and it's like I wish I had that. I feel like I, I should be at a certain place in my life. People from high school uh-huh. are getting married, and having kids. Yeah. It's like, and it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to be in that life stage and feel like, am I behind? Right? Or there's something wrong with me? Or am I going to find my person? It puts like all of this external pressure on. And I would say, if you're dealing with a lot of that, take a little social media break. You actually don't need to see like, especially like around the holidays when like every idiot's getting engaged or getting pregnant or some <laughs> shit. Like, especially when it's like the worst person you know, when you're like, how? Who chose you? And you're like, there's truly someone for everyone. I know you okay? in third grade. Right, you're like, right. what, Susie, who shit her pants on the bus? Like, yeah, like it's very confusing. Okay, so like, if that stuff though is affecting you take a break from it if it's not it's just like oh all these people are getting engaged that's cool i like to see where they're getting married that's great it doesn't affect you but if stuff is actually affecting you hurting how you feel or hurting your relationship where it's putting external pressure on you have to take responsibility for taking away the trigger with that and if that's social media take a break from it are you finding with your clients that you're getting more people kind of complain like not complaining but talking about that since social media is such a big thing whereas back in the day you weren't constantly inundated with posts of people getting engaged having yeah. babies like we yes. don't know what it's like not having some like social so media. do you think it's affected people's <laughs> mental health yeah so in percent in january i made the decision to get off all social media <gasps> now i'm very lucky so because sorry. i have jen we have a producer we have like basically like people that run our business social media so i understand okay. if you're starting a business it's very hard to make the decision that i was able to mm-hmm. um i went off in january and my mental health has truly never been better it was the best decision I've ever made. I will never go back. Um, uh, I pop on the last day of every month and I put a post up usually about like I'm a mom and stuff. So I'm like, here are the things we did this month. Right. Um, and then an hour <laughs> later, I deleted it. So I don't, I, hour later, I deleted again. But yes, it, it's in general, the clients and things they were saying 10 years ago are not the same that people talk about now. 10 years ago, I never talked about politics in section in se- sessions and it comes up all the time now, right? Like wow. 10 years ago, like you weren't talking about things. Things change so quickly in this world. And so that's like therapists have to be able to adapt to that. 
-hmm. And we're not, we're not built to like know all of this information at all times. And so it is, it's completely, we saw this a lot during the pandemic, right? That things felt so out of our control Mm -hmm. and that the way in which so many people were trying to manage that was to read and, and understand more and more and take in, there was this so much consuming of information. And what we found is like, that was so overwhelming to a lot of people. And the, the goal that they were trying to achieve of like feeling like they had more control, um, they were not achieving it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we do that a lot with social media too. We like keep, you know, we start stalking someone, right? Like I want to see who my ex-boyfriend's dating now. And you just like start going down this rabbit hole of like stalking them. And so my question would be is, is as you're on social media to be a little bit more conscious of how you're feeling when you're on it and how it's affecting you. And just to be more present with yourself during that time, because it may be the case that your relationship with social media is fine, doesn't doesn't have an effect on you, doesn't take you down, or it may be the case that it's taking you down and you're comparing yourself, you're feeling more anxious after it, it's not serving you in some way. So that's what I would say is that everyone has a different relationship with social media and to understand specifically for you how it's affecting you and the way in which you do that is just to be very conscious of how you're feeling while you're on social media. Or to, yeah, or to follow accounts that make you feel good, unfollow yes. accounts that don't make you yes. feel good. Cause there's also good things. Cause there's, you know, that's how we found you guys. And there's other, yeah. you know, therapist, sure. therapists and resources and positive things you can follow. So I, and, I think and I that, would say that too. Yeah. I, well, and I would say, and that's what we mean about like radical responsibility. It's my job to be like, Oh, you know what? I need to unfollow a bunch of people. Or like, yeah. It's my job to be like, I need to take a break and you don't have to like get off of everything. Take a break for 48 hours. Right? right. Like, so like that is our individual responsibility. And like, yeah, like if you're following a bunch of people that doesn't make you feel good, stop following them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bye. And that doesn't, and that might even just talking about like random people we don't know. I mean, like, you know, if Karen from next door sucks to follow <laughs> muter, you don't have to. <laughs> Love a good mute button. I, I want to know how does someone ask for what they really need without being like, I fucking need you to come over and bring me flowers. Like, I mean, I know that's a terrible example, but like, how does one ask for what they need without like scaring someone away? So I'll use the flower example because I love that. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a bad example. Yeah, I think it was great. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so, so first, I would ask yourself, right? If that's coming to your mind, I wish, I wish they bought me flowers more. But ask yourself, what would those flowers mean to you? What would it give to you, right? Maybe it means validation in the relationship. Maybe it, maybe, maybe gift giving is is your love language. You would feel more loved. So I would get underneath what it is that you want to yell about. Um, let's say it's, you want to feel more loved in the relationship. And these are the ways in which you feel loved, um, or you want to feel more connected in the relationship. And these are the ways in which you, you feel connected in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I would sit down and say like, Hey, I care about you so much. I care about this relationship in my relationships. It's so important for me to feel loved and cared about. These are the ways in which I feel that way in relationships. Can we talk about that and what changes might what might be made? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that things we because that conversation is so vulnerable, we let those things build up until we're pissed off and we start yelling about them. And then when we get to the point where we're yelling about them, you know that your partner's is saying, "No, I'm never, I'm never going to buy you flowers." You know, like <laughs> then it turns into more of an argument yeah. rather than a discussion about here's what's really important to me in a relationship. And at the same token, like what makes you feel cared about? What what are ways in which I can also make you feel cared about? Let's talk about that. 
Okay. What would you say to someone who can't let go of someone that doesn't love them or can't let go of that toxic ex that we just keep, you know, thinking about? I think that one of the things we can also talk about is like the tremendous amount of grief in that. So when you're talking about letting something go, have I properly grieved it? Not just have I talked shit on them, not just have I avoided them. Have I actually sat in my own sadness of why this didn't work out? This idea, um, we had um, one of our therapists was on our podcast. We have so many amazing clinicians. She talked about that the idea of needing closure is a myth. And that's very true. You don't actually need closure. We give that to ourselves through grieving. Wow. Jen? I think, I think there's this idea too that you need a timeline on that of like letting go of an ex or no longer thinking about them. Um, whether you get into another relationship or that there's this idea of I should be over this, right? Like I should have let this go. That can take time and it can take years. It is okay to give yourself that time and that grace to allow yourself to continually grieve that relationship. And when you don't give yourself that space, it gets stuck. So anytime that you're thinking of an ex and you're having trouble, say to yourself, okay, it's okay that I'm feeling this way. This is hard. It's hard to let this relationship go. It meant a lot to me, or there was a lot of emotion involved in it. And so it's hard for me to let this go. It's okay that I'm still feeling it. Give yourself the space to feel, even if it's been years, don't put a time limit on it. It takes time to grieve. Mm -hmm. wow we've learned so much so much obviously we can go on and on but (laughs) emily jen this has been so much fun thank you so much for hanging out with us is there anything in the works or where can people find you are you guys guys, taking clients i know you guys host the shrink chicks podcast (laughs) yeah are you taking clients what's what's next (laughs) we do not take any clients you have to wait many years for that we have lots of good people we've worked with for a long time we stick with but um, we have a lots of amazing clinicians, including, yes. um, openings right now in California, Ooh, lots okay. of different states. We have openings in New York. We have lots of different things. We're in tons of states across, um, the continental U S. So please, if you're interested in working with therapists who is like us, um, check out the therapy You could check us out at Instagram, um, at the therapy group. You could listen to shrink chicks. Um, you can yes. always reach out to us if we're not in your state. We, um, usually have really great referrals. So reach on out. If there's anything we can help you with, we really love to do that. Wow. Amazing. Thank you guys. It's so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much guys. But I am a G-string.